welcome to the Bon My Dogs from the Dogs Perspective podcast. I'm your host, Nora Keskiavari, and on this show, we explore personal dog journeys and uncover how we can become the best possible dog owners. From the dog's perspective, of course. Today's guest is amazing Linda Randall from the United States. Linda has six dogs and she's passionate about the behavior of people and animals. Linda describes herself as curious. So yes, we are also curious and want to hear more. Welcome to the podcast, Linda. We can't wait to hear more about your inspiring journey. Let's start with if you if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, hello, and I'm really happy to be here. As you said, my name is Linda Randall, and I'm a veterinarian, and I am also a dog trainer. I have a facility called One Smart Dog, and it is in Seville, Ohio. It's Northeast Ohio, around anybody who knows the United States might know of Cleveland and Columbus, and we're in between the two. Oh, wow. Uh, my... Uh childhood and until I'm in my 20s almost uh I I was like very 100% sure I will be a vet as well so that's interesting <laughs> now to talk with with you but then I became a dog trainer and 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 that's the uh, rest is history <laughs> uh well okay so let's go a little bit back in time do you Linda remember your first experience with dogs uh is there um any clear um like memories of what happened and Did you know already from then, like that one day you will have your own dog? Well, my first experience with dogs was just being a child. Uh, My family's always had at least one dog. And we had a boxer when I was growing up. And then later on, we had different kinds of dogs. Uh, One was a black lab. And that's the one that I first remember actually training. I had a horse at the time and was doing some jumping and show jumping. We had a black lab and I thought, well, it's got four legs. He could jump. (laughs) I mean, I was really little. And uh, so I started teaching my dog to take the jumps that my horse was taking. And I know so many dog trainers, especially in agility, come from the horse world. And uh, I happen to be one of those. Oh, nice. Yeah, you're right. Uh, most, like many of the guests here actually do have uh, have the background with, with horses. So that's uh, actually an gr- interesting fact. Yes. So if you think about dogs in general and, and training um, them and anything related to dogs, what is this thing that actually inspires and motivates you? Oh, <laughs> so many things inspire and motivate me. And I think that's part of my, I'm not going to say problem. It's it's part of my challenge. <laughs> it's And I'm always taking an opportunity to learn more, even if at the moment it's tangential to what I'm actually doing, which means I spread myself in many different directions. And I am not a person who ends up focusing as well as I should. So I am like that little dog who is just sort of saying, how about this? Well, how about that? I can do this and I can do that. Oh, you want me to do this? Yeah, I can do that. But wait, there's more. Right, right. Well, I can I can hear a lot of me also in, in what you have already described about yourself. It's so interesting. <laughs> One day I want to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> that would in be great. Person. One day yeah. I want to come to Finland. It's been my yes. plan. Well, that's good. That's a good plan. One my dog's method, as we all know, it's all about the dog's 
point of view and everything we teach is about seeing the world from the, from the dog's perspective and and also it's a lot about having fun together and in this podcast we want to share these le- real life stories uh, about how learning more about the dog's perspective has impacted life with dogs linda you have joined one mind dogs community about 10 years ago uh, tell us how did you get started with one mind dogs if you can go through that with us It started uh, because I am a student of uh, Linda Mecklenburg's and uh, when she went over to Finland and I, and that is when I really heard more and more about it and was impressed with what you were doing. And she would talk about it and about all the cool things you were doing. And so I liked the way it meshed with the system that I was using then. And of course, at that point in time, that long ago, we were all using systems. And then that became very divided. I've got this system, you have this system, and One Mind Dog says this system. And everybody was very proprietary. But over time, wisely, (laughs) it has melded more because in reality, everybody has the same goals and how they're getting there can differ. And yet there's a commonality. And the commonality is the dog, is that we should all be looking at it from the perspective of the dog, because that's what it's all about. And I think that a lot of the behaviors that you've started with and that you proposed are things people are saying, yeah, you know, one mind dogs had it right when they were first proposing that we look at it from the perspective of that dog, not including the perspective of the dog. And those are two different things. And so I think that that's how I first came to it. And I have also maintained my membership for a lot of reasons, because I've taken some of the courses, I keep going through some of the activities, but I always, always want you as a resource because I go in and I look at what you're doing, compare it to what I'm doing, and then try to adjust. I use it a lot for my students. And I, I believe strongly in bringing the best of everybody uh, to my students and they have to take it from there. Right, right. Well, that's that's actually very um, true words that you you mentioned and I, I like we all feel that that's the point. We have always uh, and we are thinking everything from the dog's perspective. That is all what matters. So that's why um, I think it it is um, combining people together um, also for for that reason. If you think about in general, um, it doesn't need to be compete competitive dog or whatever. It, it it can be anything. But what has been kind of the biggest aha moment or light bulb moment in with your dogs? Or if you think about the dog's perspective and learning more about it, more about that, can you mention any 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 one uh, one kind of eye opener moment for you? Yes. I know I'm shaking my head no, but I'm thinking yes. (laughs) Uh, I absolutely can. I am a crossover trainer. I started, I had some Rottweilers for a while, but flat-coated retrievers were the dogs that I did most of my training with. I did field trials, obedience, 
and agility. From in the field trial world, in the United States especially, and they're still holding on to it desperately, <laughs> is um, electronic collars. And you can't sugarcoat that. You can't say, well, I kind of used an e-collar. No, I was out there. I did what I was told basically by the trainers, but it always hurt me. You know, I'm one of the people that said, well, I put it on myself and I shocked myself and I'm still here, you know, and I'm, I'm okay, but it didn't feel right. It didn't feel ethical. I did well with it. I'm not going to say that I didn't, but when I learned about clicker training, it changed my life. It took five years to change my life. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, I think people who say, and then a light bulb went off and all of a sudden I was a positive reinforcement trainer. No, I I came at it slowly. I'm This year I'm going on my 19th Clicker Expo. I'm a KPA certified trainer. And I've gone not only into it, I believe in it. And I believe, which is something I've always appreciated about One Mind Dogs, I believe that it is ethical and it is moral. And we have to be that way in the world. And if somebody says, oh, but it takes longer. Well, it depends on how good you are at it, how long anything takes, but that's life. Yeah. Some people can get in a short period of time, what you as maybe coming from the pet dog world may not get for quite a long time, but that's true of everything that we do. And why we expect our dogs in a very short period of time to all of a sudden be perfect at anything, whether it's not barking at the Amish buggies going by my window, <laughs> you know, or whether it's running a complicated UKI course. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where that comes from just as human beings, why we expect animals to learn faster than we ourselves learn, because at the end of our lives, we realize there's a lot we never learned. <laughs> that's, that's my aha moment. It's positive reinforcement training. And that has become everything in my, in my training with the, I work a lot with kids and they are wonderful, positive reinforcement trainers. And I work a lot with adults and sometimes they are, and sometimes they just need, need some nudging. And sometimes I'm not the trainer for them, but it's worth the effort because as I keep saying, it it is the thing to do. And I think uh, Susan Friedman, when she says, you know, the Lima approach, so, you know, the least invasive um, method available, that's that's where we have to stand and we have to take that stand and we have to really be proud of it. There's, there's really no giving on that. I don't get into fights with people who don't agree with me because I'm a positive reinforcement trainer. I'm not here to fight with them, but I'm I'm here to present something that and and hopefully say something that gets them thinking and gets them moving in a direction because I'm I'm not going to force them to because you can't. I guess that's all I have to say. I said a lot. I know. You <laughs> ask me a question and I will talk forever. Sorry. <laughs> well that's yeah it's really um you went really deep uh, in this, and this is a, a really in interesting topic. Um, and even if we don't talk about the methods, uh, I have also learned that general dog trainers, especially like dog owners, uh, pet dog owners, they many times expect their puppies to suddenly learn something without 
training at all. And that's really interesting when you think about the kids or children. No one expects them to learn. They go to right. kindergarten and preschool and school, 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 school. And then with with dogs, it's generally maybe puppy, puppy, puppy course, and that's it. So right, it's. I, I also feel that it's important to leverage the understanding of actually it's it's easy and it's simple to train the dog if you just understand the dog's perspective. So you can start when it's just arrived you and and you start. Uh, kind of reinforcing the basics like trust and and all that so, but yeah there is a lot to do uh, and we will go i think even deeper with <laughs> to these topics uh, later in this um pod, uh, podcast episode as well if you we, if you go uh, back to the beginning of one mind dogs and learning more about how one mind dogs educate about the or talks about the dog's perspective is there something that you can like has been eye opening like eye opener for for you when you think about training your dogs? Actually, when I think about it, um, I'm not so sure you say this quite as much as you used to when we first started, but you know how your tagline more or less about learning from a deaf, deaf dog. Yes. yes. And um, I think that that's something that it's not that I never thought about it, but I was curious about it because from a veterinary standpoint, you know, I I would think about a deaf dog doing agility, or uh, and what is it that that we would do different? But what is it in their minds, which we will never exactly know, of course. But um, that that's going on when you're in a hearingless world, or a blind world, or the dogs that are both, which we're seeing more of. I would just like to say, I think it's because people are not to use the word call, but I'm going to use it. You know, the dogs are with us. People aren't saying, oh, this puppy is deaf and blind and then euthanizing it. And so we do see more of them and what's going on in their world. And then with the great um, rise, very quick rise in a lot of ways of scent work and nose work and how dogs use their nose. Well, we never talked about that 10 years ago. You know, we say, oh yeah, you know, they sniff. And our big goal was no sniffing, (laughs) leave it. Come on, we have things to do. And now we're saying, oh yeah, we're going on a sniff walk and go sniff becomes a reinforcer. So that I think is what got me thinking and appreciating what you do. Yes, very, very true and very interesting. Yes. So the deaf dog taught us how to listen. So that's that's one mind dog's very, very uh foundation and, and the roots. That's true. Is there something that you would like to mention um about because we all when we have dogs and we do lots of stuff with them and we have some struggles and hurdles. Um are you like could you share us any of the challenges that you have had with your dogs and how how did you overcome that? <laughs> How do you overcome having six border collies? I do not know. <laughs> that was not in the game plan. Not planned. <laughs> <laughs> My struggle is actually a human struggle. And that is those of us who are in the behavior world, and I do so much with behavior and as a veterinarian and as a dog trainer, and who are in the competition world, and I don't compete like I, I used to, but I have students who do so. Knowing that when my, when I've got a four-year, four to six-year-old dog, I'm looking at my next puppy 
And then that four to six-year-old dog is a 10 to 12-year-old dog. And you're looking at your next puppy because now you have another four to six-year-old, which is how, of course, you end up with six border collies. But um, how do I get to the end of my day and not have done what I consider right by my dog? Meaning I chose an active breed. That's on me. And if I don't provide the activities their brain and bodies need, you know, I feel bad about it. Let me just say, I feel bad that I get to the end of my day, I'm exhausted. And if I do five to 10 minutes with each dog, that may be all that they're going to get for that day. And a day doesn't go by that I think that this isn't right, that they need more than that. And I know they need more than that. And I try to provide it, but my two businesses, have taken over. And, uh, and it's, it's just hard. You know, one dog is 15 and, you know, then the other one's going to be 13. And I know they're not going to be with me that much longer. And sometimes I think, oh my goodness, then I'll be down to four dogs. That'll be a relief. And then I think that's not going to be a relief. That's going to be very stressful. It's going to be very sad. And I go back and forth. So I think that that's, it's hard to deal with, but I also have compassion for people who can't let go of their dogs when maybe they should. And I mean that not in the training sense, but the older dogs. And maybe I need to adjust the way I think about my younger dogs. I don't know. I'm feeling really sad just talking about it <laughs> because it's it's a, it's a daily struggle. My personal human business life, my income versus my choices in dogs that got me to this point. I don't know. I struggle. Well, that's really open, openly, openly told, and I think many people can relate to that. Whether it's 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 dogs or children or whatever, so I think it's it's the con continuous struggle that people just have. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you for sharing that. But let's move to some more positive perspective now. Um, what are the top highlights then uh, of your life with your dogs? Is there some that you would like to share with us that you are oh, very it's the yin of? and the yang. Yeah, That's it's having <laughs> six border collies. Life is wonderful with these dogs because it doesn't, they're well-bred, they're, they aren't insane <laughs> in any way. They, they are truly stable, wonderful dogs that make me happy every single day. And they have their little border collie quirks. And I love that about each one of them. And it doesn't matter what I choose to do. I'm in a course right now with uh, Emily Johnson Bay and I'm revisiting shaping because I'm trying to go back to a lot of the foundation trainings. And when I had to decide which dog to take, I realized I'm fortunate. I could have chosen any one of my dogs because they're they're already there to take advantage of whatever it is that I'm trying to take advantage of. They're saying, we support you, Linda. We're there. We'll, we'll buy into this. You want to do shaping again? We'll do shaping. <laughs> and I mean, what is there not to love? I, I can do anything that I want and I have a dog that'll do it or will try to do it that I can train. So I consider myself extremely fortunate. Well, that's, <clears throat> that's, that was um, the yin and yang <laughs> indeed. And that uh, I, I think many, many would like to have six border collies uh, with that level of, of, uh, you know, education. 
set, having said that, we would all love to see some videos. So maybe you can share uh, share us a couple <laughs> of links, and I can I can share them with the with this episode because I can't wait to see them doing uh, either tricks or or anything. <laughs> Well, if we move to totally different topic, um, if you're, let's say, you're someone you know is getting their first ever dog, their puppy or or adult dog from rescue, uh, what tips would you tell them? <laughs> well, actually, I don't have tips that I would tell them because I would be listening to them. I would not be telling them anything. I would ask questions, open-ended questions, and try to see what their goals are, what their imagination is like, because that's so important. We often ask, well, do you want a dog with a short coat or a long coat, big dog, little dog, da, 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 tail, no tail, whatever it is that you're, you're talking about. And in reality, I want to know what their dream is. Sometimes I don't even know themselves that it's a dream, but what do you think you're, you know, you get this rescue dog or this puppy and what, what do you envision your life with that dog is going to be in in three years? What do you think it's going to be in two weeks? Even, you know, how, how do you envision this dog coming into your life? I have a way that I like to start my classes, especially with, well, with two groups. One is with just new pet people coming in, coming into class. And another one with seasoned agility or competition people, because as a group, we tend to become, I know, pretty cavalier about our dogs and, and what we're training in a lot of ways. And I like to stand them in a circle and have them close their eyes. Imagine your first time you saw this dog, whether it was as a rescue in a humane society or a litter of puppies. And remember what that dog looked like at that moment. Remember the face, remember the eyes, what drew you to this dog? What made you smile? What made you actually laugh out loud and say, this is the dog for me? Or maybe it was a dog that had soulful eyes, was sad, was at the back of his run at a rescue shelter. And you looked at that dog and something in your heart said, I need this dog or this dog needs me. Remember that moment and remember that time. And now open your eyes and look down at the dog beside you. And remember why you're here and remember what it's really all about. And then we have a moment of silence. And then I say, okay, we're ready to start training. Oh, that was awesome. Oh, my God. Well, going back to the puppy, um, not giving tips and and, and visioning the, the perfect dog. It's funny. I have for years, I have done this same uh, at this point when first I tell people not to get dogs. <laughs> but if they stay eager, like, oh, I would like to really have the dog. Um, that's exactly what I also ask them that they should list all the things that they wish uh, from from their perfect dog and that actually is a really really good tool for making people think and okay hey these are skills that we really need to train for example uh, because they might take that um, that like as a credit that they will learn it just automatically <laughs> but yeah it's but those two exercises that you just described are super deep and really uh, meaningful. So thank you so much for, for sharing those. And then I am going to say just real quickly, as a veterinarian, I also say, have you taken veterinary fees into account? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do. I, you know, not as a dog trainer, but I do as, a, as if they come into my veterinary 
office, I say, okay, now we've come to that, but I just want you to look at your finances and just remember that you're taking on something that is going to cost some money. And um, so think about that. Correct. Correct. But actually, that was something I wanted to talk about next, uh, because you you have that career that I was dreaming about for 20 years. Can you tell us? Tell us something because I think uh, being a vet uh, these days and your whole like journey um, with with that career has been I think I'm I'm sure it has been changing a lot and lots of transformation like transforming especially the how the dog owners are behaving and how they are viewing the world and and all that. Is there something special that you would like to share with our listeners? Um, something interesting because I, I bet you have lots of things that you would like to share about this topic. But like, I can't even ask more any more any any more precisely. Just um, I'll let you talk. <laughs> well, first of all, since this is a podcast, I just want to say that I am black, and as a black veterinarian, I'm in a very small percentage of uh, of of the profession. And when I graduated, women were also a small percentage of the population. And I was not encouraged to go to veterinary school. I was told I'd never get in. And uh, so then I started thinking I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't this, I wasn't that. And the main reason, of course, that many told me not to do it was because I'm Black. So I graduated from uh, Ohio State Veterinary College in Ohio. Uh, my major, though, in undergraduate school is English literature and history. And so those I spent some time in Nigeria teaching for the Nigerian federal government. I And while I was there, that's when I decided, no, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I still want to be a veterinarian. And when I get back to the United States, that's what I'm going to pursue. And I did. So I have story upon stories of what it's like being Black, especially in this day and time, uh, and being a veterinarian and being in a majority white community and opening my own hospital. I did work in a dairy practice for nine years, but um, it's it's been a long road. It's been educational. It's been traumatic. And it has also been something that I'm very proud of and that I worked hard to achieve. So that's kind of my my veterinary path. I also, when I went to vet school, I wanted to work in behavior. And everybody said, oh, you'll never be able to do that. They didn't add on because you're Black and you're a woman. But they said, well, you have to know neuroscience and to be able to do that. You don't just graduate from veterinary school and become a behaviorist. And I said, I can do that. That's really what I want to do. They talked me out of it. I didn't do it. Now I'm doing it, but I'm not a behaviorist. I'm in that middle ground of veterinarians who work hard at knowing behavior and understanding it. And I'm right in the middle of a practitioner who isn't where I am, but I then would refer on to a veterinary behaviorist for the things that absolutely need to be referred on to. So it's that little middle person in there. And um, so that's really my veterinary thing. I started my dog training business on the property of my veterinary hospital. I built a small building in the back. And we started on grass with no fencing, with nothing. 
And I said, well, we're just training dogs. And people would come with, I don't know, Siberian Huskies. And they'd say, you do know if I take my dog off leash, um, <laughs> I'd be running after him down the road. And I said, well, then we better train your dog to <laughs> work off leash. You know, finally, I thought maybe I should put a fence up. This isn't this isn't fair. <laughs> so I put a fence up. And then later on, people said, well, you know, we're training in the snow. I said, it's like being Scandinavian. I really did. I said, they train in the snow. You go on YouTube and there they are in all of their snow gear. And are they complaining? No, they're not complaining. They're <laughs> in the horse arena in the sand and it's really cold out. Are they complaining? No. And they all said, they're Scandinavian. And I said, so? <laughs> anyway. I put up a building with a roof and then I, they said, it's really cold in here. And so I put in heating. Then they said, all oh, this dirt, my dogs are dirty. I put in turf. Then they said, it's really hot in the summer. I put in fans. Oh my God. Anyway. <laughs> and that was at the back of my veterinary hospital, Eddie. So I had a two businesses that uh, came together in a lot of different ways. I it require, I acquired students because of the dog training and I acquired patients because of the dog training coming to the veterinary hospital. And I did a lot with athletic dogs. It was really a niche business for me. Right. Right. Oh, this is so uh, empowering and, and powerful um, episode and, and, And to hear all these uh, stories from you. So, oh, what a brave, <laughs> brave uh, woman you are. And you are changing the world. But if you think about changing the world from the dog's perspective, um, and if you think about, for example, your work uh, as a vet and meeting all these new puppy owners, uh, if there's one thing that you could change to make dogs' lives better, what would that be? <laughs> right now, I, with my co-host, uh, do a lot of talks and webinars on trauma-informed and trauma-assumed care. And I would say, especially now, COVID, post-COVID, I think people are beginning to realize that with dogs, I refer to it as trauma-assumed care, is that to be fair to the dog, especially the rescue dogs, but you have to assume there's trauma in their life. You may never know if there was or wasn't. You may never know if there was exactly what that looked like. But if we approach dogs the way the medical field is also trying to approach people, which is to say, you don't know why somebody is acting the way they are. You don't know why that dog is acting the way it is, but you look at the dog in front of you. And if having a label for how you're looking at that dog can help you, I would suggest that that label be trauma assumed so that you just, that doesn't mean you have said to the dog, oh my goodness, you need my care. You need this, you need that. What you want to do is you want to approach it that way, because then you're asking the dog open-ended questions as you train and you're, the dog will give you an answer, which will then again, inform the next step of your training. So there you're right back to your basic operant behavior, you're back to your ABCs. Something happens, the antecedent, the dog gives you a behavior, and then there's a consequence. And sometimes we can inform that consequence with our reinforcement history. Sometimes the environment informs the consequence. And if we're there to recognize that, maybe we can change the environment. All of this 
will change our whole attitude about our relationship with the dog in front of us. And that's what I would, that's what I would say. Again, powerful, <laughs> powerful things. Uh, I'm. Let's make sure that we will add some links to these resources so people can people can learn more about this topic as well. So um, that's super super interesting. And and as said, you are changing the world in in many many uh, dimensions. So uh, thank you for for all that. Hey Linda, is there anything um, I didn't ask and you would like to share with us? You asked a lot, or I took your questions and then <laughs> answered a lot. I'm not sure. I guess it went both ways. And so there really isn't anything that I feel that I need to add. I I feel good. Oh, my God. That's so good. I feel also very good. Um, and I'm so, so happy that an honor to have you as our guest. So, Linda, thank you so much for being here today and our guest. and uh, and sharing all these incredible um, and interesting and inspiring stories. So I think this will be very a, a highly appreciate, appreciated uh, episode. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you a lot. To all our listeners, thank you for tuning in to One Mind Dogs from the Dogs Perspective podcast. We hope you have gained inspiration for your own life with your dogs and for learning more about the dogs perspective. Remember to follow One Mind Dogs on social media and sign up for the podcast newsletter to stay updated on our latest episodes and exciting content. We would love to hear from you. So tag One Mind Dogs and share your special moments with your dogs. So see you in the next episode. Oh,